Hi, everybody, and welcome to No Country. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Chris Sacknessum. Chris, how are you doing this evening? I'm well, David. I'm really well. I'm excited. It's all good. Excellent. Well, thank you guys for joining us for the show. At the top of the show, I'd like to share some housekeeping notes. Thank you so much to everybody who has signed up for the Patreon. We have a $5 tier which allows you to get an extra bonus episode every week that Chris and I record directly after the one we're recording now. The $8 tier gives you that, plus a weekly happy hour that we will be launching this Thursday. Yay! Which Chris and I, yeah, I know. <laughs> which Chris and I get together on Zoom and invite you all into the chat, and we kind of hang out. You're allowed to bring your questions, thoughts, concerns, anything you want, and we'll chat for about an hour and just uh, hang out and have a good time. So there is that. Also, we are going to be launching this fall. We're going to be launching book a book club and also courses. Now, the book club and the courses are not going to be on Patreon. They're going to be on the website that I'm working on right now. Um, the book club will be structured kind of like a course. It will have an opening 40-minute introductory video essay. And from there, Chris, would you like to describe how you're going to be to be handling the discussions around these books? Yeah. Uh, the first book up is a fantastic work of uh, nonfiction. It is a kind of biography. It's by Lawrence Weschler called Seeing is Forgetting the Name of the Thing One Sees. And it focuses on the California abstract expressionist painter, installation artist, and conceptual thinker Robert Erlin, who is still alive, um, living in San Diego. He's uh, in his senior years now, but he was at the heart of the hip, cool transition to L.A. art in the 60s and has really gone an amazing uh, philosophical and spiritual journey as an artist. Um, some of his stuff I, I think is just really quite remarkable. Um, and it helps to, to be interested in, in visual art and the history of 20th century American art. But I guarantee you that's you don't have to be. Weschler's prose is some of the most beautiful, clear uh, writing you will ever come across. And his ability to completely submerge his own uh, quite fearsome intellect within his subject is something that uh, I, I use for uh, my advanced journalism classes and creative nonfiction. I think it's just an exciting, beautiful book that has meant a great deal. Uh, it was published originally by the University of California Press. It's now become a kind of legendary book. I'm, many people may have heard of it. But we've got, I think, three different angles to approach within that text and the, the larger subject of Irwin's artistic journey. So there'll be an hour-long session picking apart those elements, giving us a chance to share opinions and views as a group, however large that is. Uh, and I think people will find that very rewarding. And then a, a, a summary. Uh, discussion, video, lecture, with notes, uh, further reading suggestions, a very solid bibliography. And I hope that will be a really strong resource that is 
has some academic rigor to it, honestly, but also some real fun, you know, some social fun. There's nothing like reading a book at the same time and being able to talk about it with other people. It's it's very lonely when you, you know, even when you're deeply excited about something, I think everybody who reads knows this, and you think, I really want to talk to someone about this, you know? And once we get out of school situations, that, that's harder and harder to do. So this is a really important point in uh, David and my commitments you know, to building community, to building intellectual, mm-hmm. artistic, and fun social community for adults outside a conventional you know, school or academic context. And I think this is a great inspirational uh, book to start our North uh, American, Northern Hemisphere autumns with. Absolutely. So that will be launching, as I said, in the fall. If you are subscribed to the Patreon, you'll be getting updates on that via email. We are also going to be launching courses. Chris and I are discussing subjects. Chris has a whole bunch of them, and I am developing mine. So all of these things will be uh, done live with uh, students who choose to register ahead of the class. Then when it's all done, all of the material will be logged onto the website for purchase in posterity as well. So if you're not able to make it initially, you can always, you know, read the book and, you know, download the course and read along with the recordings. So um, the prices that we have there are going to be very reasonable. And if you are a Patreon subscriber, you will be receiving a discount on those prices. So all of this is very exciting. And uh, Chris and I are just hyped and we're looking forward to going into this fall and winter season with a kind of renewed sense of vigor this this uh summer has hasn't exactly been um what's the word uplifting <laughs> i I, say, I hear you i think that a lot we, of people we, agree yeah yeah but we're done with all that crap you know we're, we're basically ready to you know get back to it start learning some cool shit and uh giving you guys an, uh, some bang for your for your buck so we'll be keeping you updated with that Thus ends my end of the house cleaning. Was there anything that you wanted to talk about, Chris, before we get into the show? Uh, Just a reminder that we've got uh, our ongoing uh, experiments with David's Mm -hmm. mind and cognitive enhancement. Uh, He's been given, again, five words that just a few moments ago to choose two two words that he's going to try to slip into the conversation somehow. And I'm trying to get a little bit sneakier as he gets more and more flexible. It's, it's, it's really pleasing to see some of this uh, mental samurai thing that he's got going on. That, um, and in part two, behind the paywall, uh, in addition to another round of five more, uh, let's say, challenging words, there is an ongoing uh, feature of an improvisational imaginative challenge that David has to manage in real time while still carrying on the discussion, which is uh, in the one coming up, we've got some really rich stuff, which I'm very excited about. So there's a lot of cool things. Um, I do want to mention um, a fabulous book that my friend Jim Earp, who is one of our fans, uh, gave me for uh, a birthday present, and it's only just caught up with me the other day. It's called Atlas Obscura, uh, which is part of an ongoing research investigation into wonderful 
mysterious magical places and uh, events around the world. It's a fabulous hardcover book, well-researched, beautiful illustrations. It absolutely qualifies as a fine arts book, but it is a tremendous resource for uh, anyone interested in anomalous, wondrous things. One of the key people to blurb it is Neil Gaiman, which maybe gives you a bit of a clue. It, it really is a great resource and, and a lot of fun. Uh, and one of the things I just opened, it's the kind of book you can do any, you know, open it and just find something. And I, I, my, the first page dealt with the Elf School, Elf Studies in Reykjavik, Iceland. This is dead serious, where you can get an official degree in what is called hidden people research. That's the field hidden people. And I think that's as cool as cryptozoology. I, I just love that idea. So that's just a little yeah. flavor. And a big thanks to Jim Earp, who is a fan of the show and has contributed several interesting ideas. So this is where the community thing comes together. And this is why David and I are so hyped, because it's working. And thank you very much. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, um, the talking about Reykjavik, I've been to Reykjavik once. I've been to his airport, and um, I was on my way to France for a book conference, and that was the layover, and it was a very cool airport. I had to kind of navigate this. Uh, everything looks like an Ikea catalog there. Yes, it does. It sounds like a stereotype, yes, it but it's just, it's just true, you know? And so I passed the, the duty-free... Uh, you know, bottles of, of vodka and got a little one and went and found the uh, little smoking cage. There's an outdoor cage where the cold wind will whip your face while you're out there. And I looked out across the uh, Reykjavik landscape. It looks like the surface of the moon. Totally. It's the most bizarre landscape I've ever seen, most dreamlike landscape I've ever seen. Um, recently had some some friends uh, take a trip to to Iceland and uh, I don't know that whole that whole area just seems like um, something out of a dream. It's really hard to to imagine that it's even that it's even real. And it's got such a rich literary tradition, you know. And people are still mm -hmm. reading, you know, ancient Icelandic. It, it, it's it's still part of the the whole culture, yeah. you know. My buddy Jordan is uh, currently sent me a picture. He's reading uh, Icelandic sagas, a book of Icelandic sagas. So that's a that's an interesting sink that we have going on here. Maybe it's time to take a trip to uh, to Reykjavik. They seem to uh, they seem to have their heads on straight there. Crime is extremely low. It's I think routinely makes the list of happiest countries in the world. Um, I wonder what that's all about. And also they own they have lax gun laws for Europe up there too. I think which might it's kind of interesting. They're very, you know, into personal freedom. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, you've got beautiful thermal hot springs. You've got Bjork. Yeah. You've got a great right. history of medieval literature. And, uh, and some wonderful, in addition to the really powerful uh, sagas of the past, there's some fabulous folk tales. And there's a lot of really cool uh, contemporary work that's coming out in TV and film. I mean, and it's so scenic. Um, and there is a possibility of volcanic destruction, but hey, you know, <laughs> that's sure. all right, you know. <laughs> hey, you have to take the good with the bad. I, um, 
I'm currently, by the way, apropos of nothing, I'm uh, smelling my wrist because I'm getting more and more into perfumes. And I'm currently wearing uh, something called Targa, Blackbird Targa, which has top notes of alibinum, which is frankincense. Uh, so it's frankincense and green pepper, middle notes of black pepper and nutmeg, and base notes of oak and teak and myrrh. So that's great. I wanted to throw that out before we got started talking too. I've I've got there's a really great uh, podcast called The Perfume Nationalist. You know, it's got a kind of a a provocative name, right? But uh, they they review perfumes at the beginning of all these shows, and it's gotten me into scent. And I haven't even been thinking about scent for my entire life. You don't you don't even think about these kind of things, you know. Uh, Patrick, or uh, not Patrick, but uh, Peter Suskin's book Perfume. Did you yeah. ever read that one? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, scent is such an underused uh, sense that we have. Oh, um, it's so just... powerful, and also just the language, just the words are so beautiful. I mean, there's so much you can, mm-hmm. you know, you can do just in in terms of of the hearing side of the oral. You know, and what the words look like on the page. So then, when you connect mm-hmm. that back to the very, very powerful olfactory, you know, experience, it's like whoa. You know, I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I, I so think anyway, that's send, cool. Send me your uh, send me your perfume recommendations because I'm getting into the really weird ones. The same company makes one that's supposed to smell like bananas and old computers. I'm not sure how, and I'm reading the reviews for it, and people are like, it really smells like an old computer and a banana. And I'm like, this is just a whole new world for me. I'm wow. going to smell so, yeah. str- so strange. I'm just going to uh, provoke everyone around me uh, with, with just what, what, is, what are these odd smells coming off of this person? It's, uh, it's really kind of, it's really powerful in its own way. Kind of, uh, you know, having an, an identity that is projected out through scent. It's, um, it's the wave of the future, folks. Just letting you know. But anyway, that's enough about <laughs> perfume. I just I've been into it for a while, and I've never slipped it into our conversation. No, I'm glad actually, you did. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so for this particular episode, Chris, is there a, is there a space that you wanted to start, or do you want to just roll with it? Well, um, I, I have had on my mind, and I think a lot of us have, have just been catching maybe glimpses of it. In, and maybe some people following it very closely, but this uh, Gabby Petito uh, missing persons case, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and I believe that there has been uh, somewhat definitive uh, news released uh, a, a few hours ago, as far as I know, that her uh, mm-hmm. that remains found in uh, the Grand Tetons, which is such a beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful part of Wyoming. If, if people haven't been there, it's really worth going. To, and and you can imagine what what Grand Teton actually means if you don't know you can work that out yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. But they believe that the the remains uh, are you know are in fact uh, the body of this young woman from uh, Long Island who dis disappeared about a month ago. And it just seems like a very strange case. I, I believe that her boyfriend is still at large. You know, Missing in hiding, not sure. I I just I thought it would be worth just having a look at this because it's it's so in the news in the moment, and and mm-hmm. what did puzzle me, 
you know, we, we talked earlier about uh, Malaysian Flight 370 and how much world attention that got. I, I understand that because it's an mm-hmm. it's a jetliner and there are, are 300, 200 people involved and international. And it's a very big mystery. Mysteries at sea or at air, in the air or all sorts of, you know, brings to mind aliens and black holes and all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff. I, I'm a little mm-hmm. bit less certain about... What about this story uh, got so much attention? I do think that there is a kind of end of summer aspect to it. I think it harkens mm-hmm. to the issue of the kind of what you were alluding to um, mm-hmm. when you were talking about your perception of this summer. Uh, but I wanted just to just see what you think about it. I mean, it, what, it, has it been on your radar? A hundred percent. My uh, my wife Rios has been following this uh, very closely, and she's been keeping me abreast of all the news about what's going on. Um, before I go on with that, you said something very interesting there about it being an end of summer thing, and we have been talking in the Patreon episodes about the idea of child sacrifice, particularly the idea that um, that Hollywood is a you know a, a machine that eats children and i can't help but think of the way that this summer has been going and for it to end with a big story about a missing person a missing woman a young missing woman who uh it it has a kind of wicker man or burning man feel to it right it does it does burning of the man that is an interesting connection that i i hadn't really thought of the kind of um Okay, so stories, as we as we understand them, uh, are largely communicated by the news media now. I think that they are our number one purveyors of narrative. I think that's that's pretty fair to say. So it is the fact that they have the keys to the car, so to speak, when it comes to things like this, and that they would then choose to run with this story. As you said, I mean, missing missing persons stories are unfortunately not very unique. They happen all the time. As a matter of fact, on social media, there are a ton of uh, posts about you know, hey, if you care about if you care so much about this Gabby Petito situation, here's somebody else who's gone missing. And of course, there are the hundreds of missing women in uh, Juarez, Mexico, right across the border from El Paso, where I used to live, that have been completely unsolved. You know, women going to work in the Macaladoras, getting uh, picked up on their, you know, kind of isolated walks home and never being heard from again. It was a real epidemic of these of these abductions. So these things happen a lot, but you've got me thinking about the timing and you've got me thinking about the, the broad scope uh, synchromystic style narrative that goes on with the news media, and yeah, I can't, I can't help but feel like it's, it's a, it's a, it's an end of summer ritual in a sense. Not, not the murder itself, but the the broadcasting of it. Well, and we don't know, you know, if it is a murder. I mean, the, the thing that, that we really know very little about this. So I think that, that the first, the starting point is that the media, as our collective storytelling gatekeepers, let's say, have chosen to make a real ritual meal 
out of this mm-hmm. story with some very thin ingredients. I think we can break down a few things uh, of, of what, what is working. But I, I do want to chime in and reinforce what you're saying about why these stories are not at all unusual. I mean, I have in my uh, photographic portfolio uh, maybe 50 different sheets, not individual images, but sheets as in kind of collage photos of uh, rest area postings about missing Mm. people. Uh, Mm. Downtown still has, in Vegas here, still has some you know, pretty sketchy hotels. And mm-hmm. I think they're interesting photographically. I've, I've uh, flagged them as photographic locations for uh, Hollywood people I know. But inevitably, there is at least four to five pictures mm-hmm. of young, young women, uh, oftentimes real teenagers, you know, who have gone missing. And if you try to do research about what happens, you know, what's the resolution of these? It's not very good. It's not very good. Yeah. Uh, the police and missing person experts, you know, oftentimes hit around 50 percent. You know, there are reasons why these young people, particularly the younger they are, the, of course, I think the more tragic the story feels. Uh, there are a lot of reasons why why they've gone missing. Uh but it is a reminder that there is a lot of darkness and a lot of mystery mm-hmm. that we could, mm-hmm. you know, if we wanted to, we could do an ongoing program about that alone. So mm. let's try to then, I, with that in mind, because and I think certainly what you're saying with, with crossing the border and this huge surge now of immigration, there are a lot of people going missing. Um, Mm -hmm. So what about this has so fascinated the media and why do you and I both kind of feel there is something, there's a kind of ritualistic thing going on to this and, and we don't even know much of the detail. I th- my first impulse would be to talk about the fact that Gabby Petito is an Instagram influencer. Yes. I haven't looked into this very much, but my understanding of this is that her life is highly documented. Yes. One of the tip-offs that right. she was missing. Yeah, one of the tips that she was missing, and as a matter of fact, was that she hadn't posted in something like four hours, which is an interesting thing. Um, her mother received a text message from her saying that her cell service was spotty and that she wouldn't be able to communicate with her. But the real kind of sinking gut feeling that the mother got was when the posting stopped. So there's something to be said about the ubiquity of the online life and the fact that every little detail of our days are, are sort of uh, recorded down to what you have for breakfast and what's going on when you take your dog for a walk, etc. So there is something to this particular missing person to have somebody who's so famous for documenting every aspect of their life it almost seems like an intrusion of the world back into it and it's an intrusion of the world in two very base human ways the first way is nature man versus nature right Right, right. we live on these little black boxes and now we have somebody who's gone missing in the grand tetons right The second thing is the very human and inescapable, no matter how famous you are on Instagram, uh, of the perceived, alleged, perhaps, 
jealous lover, right? Right. Perhaps could have. We don't know for sure. We got to be careful about these kind of things. But who very well could have committed this crime? They're the most likely person who could have committed this crime. Most crimes that happen like this, it tends to be the boyfriend. The fact that he's gone missing is not exactly uh, a, a tick in the box of him being innocent about this kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, no. but but I I really think that that the reason why you're and this sounds crass, but I think it's true. The reason why we probably aren't paying very much attention to Mexican women going missing is that they don't have prominent Instagram accounts. Okay, I think that is absolutely spot on and a great place to start. And I think there are two aspects of the case that, that we are certain about that has been fully documented in the media that, that reinforce that position. One is the photographs of the couple that came out that were actually in conflict or not really in sync with what we think the mood of their road trip was. So we've got the, the ongoing problem of, of do photographs and posting, social media postings, can those be used in a sense to misrepresent what the reality is at any given moment? Well, we know that's the case. There's a huge uh, kerfuffle about Instagram's uh, effect on particularly teenage girls, you know, slightly younger. But yeah, we, we do know there's a problem. The other thing that I thought was interesting is that one of the other people to make a comment, I don't know if you saw this, is, and she's described in every article as a TikToker, uh, she uh, picked up the boyfriend while hitchhiking and he acted a little weird and wanted to get out of the car after offering $200 to get dropped off. I mean, yes, that was kind of weird, but she's described as a TikToker. So we do have this reinforcement of social media influencing and this is why the, the attention is there. And sadly for people and certainly for women who aren't you know, cell phone, internet connected to, you know, the influence market and all these social media platforms. Yeah, maybe we don't care because of that. We don't care enough. Right. And there is the added, you know, wrinkle to the whole thing of what social media and being online implies about things like safety and uh, happiness and, you know, I think that when you go on to Instagram or Facebook, a common criticism that's levied at it, I don't see it very much because I go on Twitter, which is a cesspool of people complaining. But on Facebook and Instagram, the idea is that people are presenting their lives as being better than what they actually are. And that means that the food that they eat, whether it's McDonald's or a five-star restaurant, whatever, however they star restaurants, I don't know, um, Everything looks perfect. The teeth are always very white. Uh, if it's a couple, they're doing a couple video where they're being very cute. Um, in the same way that early Hollywood had uh, sort of a Frank Capra vibe to it, and this presentation of life is idyllic, and things that eventually got twisted and subverted by filmmakers like David Lynch, it feels like Every time a new medium comes around, it goes through stages the same way that, uh, <laughs> you know, that a, a new person would. And social media is now very solidly in, in its early 20s, late teens, perhaps, 
And so when you first start with this with this medium, you have these perceptions that people put forward about how perfect their life is and how aspirational they are. And the Gabby Petito story might be the first chink in that armor, the first kind of suggestion of darkness that uh, that is soon to come with social media. Well, I, you know, it reminds me, in a, it, 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 there's no direct connection except a kind of tonal connection with those two much younger girls who stabbed uh, their friend because of is some sort of offering to Slender Man. But I, yeah. I, 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 you did just trigger something that it's, it's so interesting because it's so obvious. And I've seen this gal Gabby's face now, you know, hundreds of times. And I just connected when you mentioned Lynch that she does look a little bit like Laura Palmer. Yeah, she's got I mean, that she's, vibe it, to it. She she could have easily gone along to a casting call for that role. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely. And the subject of all of Lynch's films are a woman in trouble. This goes back to something that he saw when he was seven years old and riding his bike around suburban Montana. Or maybe at this point he had moved east, but he recounts seeing a ghostly, pale, white, nude woman walk out of the forest and then walk back into the forest, and that image has stuck with him forever, and that's why he, you know, he makes the movies that he makes. But the subject of a woman in trouble, particularly this again white teeth, blonde uh, uh, picture of perfection, right? It's a very American story. It's that. It's that. It's that. It's the Black Dahlia. It's you know. It's Laura Palmer. It's all these women who go missing, and women tend to be the most interested in these cases. My wife is a prime example. She likes serial killer podcasts, and she likes podcasts about uh, horrible things happening to people. And I think Chris, there might be something going on here. That you and I have trouble understanding because we move through the world as as men, and I'm not saying that it's because we lack empathy or the ability to understand that this is a shitty thing, or even to sort of vaguely from a distance understand conceptually what women go through. But I think women, in particular, feel this on a certain level that you and I aren't aren't capable of. What do you think about that? I, I think that's probably true. I certainly would, uh, you know, accede to that in a general sense. Absolutely. I, 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 I think that um, I think you and I are, are capable of, of acknowledging that and, and getting to some of those mechanics in, in a kind of, uh, you know, second tier level of understanding. But we may not be dealing with that, you know, that directly, although I have to say, I, I've off, you know, always been pretty interested in serial killers. Um, I, I certainly was, as a child, I mean, I, one of my teachers, you know, was a little bit worried that, that I knew as much about some of them. Uh, you know, the John Wayne Gacy type, you know, and, and his targets mm-hmm. were, were young males. Um, right. So I, I think there is a, you know, it kind of depends on the, uh, the sexual orientation and the charisma of the killer. Um, I mean, I think Gary Ridgway, for instance, the, the Green River killer, I find it very hard to be interested in him because he seems, well, a kind of subnormal intelligence, just a vicious, you know, 
evil person. And I really wonder how it possibly took the police so long to catch him. But I'm very interested in Ted Bundy. You know, I, it's hard not to be, I think. So there is some of that. Right. Um, Definitely. And I think it's why a killer like BTK didn't really capture the imagination of, of the world uh, once he was caught, at least, as much as he would have liked. Because, of course, this guy's an egomaniac. There have been conspiracy theories that he might somehow have been involved with the Zodiac killings, etc. But he was essentially this twisted guy who uh, wanted to be seen as a Zodiac-type figure, as this really scary, frightening guy. And when you look at him, you're just kind of like, this guy's sort of a dope. Do you know how the BTK killer got caught? I know, because my Uh, wife knows. I do. I, I I can't remember right off just because I was thinking of someone else. But but tell me, he got caught because he sent one of his taunting emails to the police from his uh, computer at work. Yeah. Um, or his. I'm sorry, his computer at church, the church that he volunteered at, uh, and they were able to trace it back from from that. Um, really quickly. To, not not to totally shift the subjects at all, but a passing thought that I had that I wanted to make sure I get out. I'm big on nameology. Last episode, we talked about the names of the presidents and how those might have some kind of effects. Gabby Petito's name uh, has the word petite in it. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that kind of uh, plays into the Laura Palmer aspect. It's because it's right there in the name. You see what I mean? Like it's kind of this idea of a small, helpless, frail person against the backdrop of you know the grand teton park it creates a image in your mind of someone very small and something very very big a kind of gaping toothy maw almost well i i certainly think that the, the natural beauty and a national park and summertime and all of those things are playing into the scenario that if we were a screenwriting team we, we would definitely be you know just automatically pressing those buttons. Let me ask you, what, what do you think then the scenario is? Because I, I am a little bit confused about their timeline, and I thought they were farther west, and I was surprised that the body was found in Wyoming. Uh, I, I thought mm-hmm. it was going to be uh, in Utah, Um and mm-hmm. I, so I'm a little confused about that. But is the proposition that she was murdered by the boyfriend, is that what we're saying without knowing? That is the proposition. Yeah, and I think it's the most likely thing. So much could be going on, obviously. It could very well have been an accident and the boyfriend ran because he you know, knew that he was in trouble, whether it was an accident or not. Um, I honestly don't know enough about the history. I don't think I've read as much about this maybe as you have. Um, so honestly, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not, but I do, my mind jumped immediately when Rios was telling me about this thing. As soon as, you know, she was missing and the boyfriend lawyered up at the time, he immediately went and got a lawyer, which is what you're supposed to do. It's the smart thing to do. But I heard all that and my first thought was, oh, he did it. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah, well, okay, there is that. And we did mention that in uh, in our last Behind the Paywall segment of, of, of how valuable that very simple technique of the simplest answer is 
the best starting point. It may not always be the best answer finally. There are moments where that's not true and the whole interesting field of, of anomalous studies and, and fortune sort of things is, is an argument against that. But every, you know, every time we come up against something, it's worth looking at the simplest answer first. Okay, so they're on this road trip, which is, we do know that there's more volatility between them than the, the, the Instagram postings suggests. We do know there, there are a couple of fights. Uh, there's a suggestion that she's OCD. Uh, I haven't mm -hmm. read anything about sort of his demeanor, um, but clearly there was a moment where um, uh, he locked her out of the car. Did you read about that? So there's there was a kind no, of tension. Yeah. Well, it was and, and and it was about and there there was intervention by the police and and she uh, had said, well, you know, he was telling me to calm down. So this this road trip was 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 not uh, the pure and easy summer romance kind of thing that we would imagine the Hallmark Channel would do. Um, mm -hmm. I, I love the Hallmark Channel in a really perverse way. I, I checked some of that out when I was uh, up with my mom. It, it's just so. It, I mean, it, you can. It's kind of the. It's related to David Lynch in a perverse other sort of way, but my point is, I think there was clearly more going on than mm -hmm. uh, their photographs would would like us to believe. Um, what makes you think that, because uh, you were kind of unequivocal about you know it being a murder, couldn't it have been an accident? Could have, absolutely, it could have. Um, but I think that my gut, my gut just said murder. Uh, you know, I mean, and okay, your gut said that. What does that mean? Well, I think that the stories about. The, the 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 fact that it was attempted to be covered up is just very bizarre to me because I try to put myself in a position where God forbid something horrible happened to somebody that I care about when I'm on a hiking trip with them uh, the first thing that I would try to do would be to find police I would be texting everybody that I knew uh, what exactly happened and you know and I would allow myself to be taken into custody. Uh, I would def I would get a lawyer because that's would be stupid not to, but um, there's this element of the text that was sent that said something to the effect of you know I'm okay uh, but my phone's service is going bad and the fact that there was a feeling that that wasn't her who sent the text message there's this element of covering up that is sloppy that speaks to my mind to somebody who is, you know, kind of frantically trying to figure out what to do. Could be an accident. Could be. But it doesn't feel that way to me. It doesn't feel that way to me either, although I have thought about, you know, we, uh, we love that uh, observation of Ulysses S. Grant about the third person, you know, uh, because two men go into uh, the woods to fight a duel doesn't mean there's not a third person already in place. I mean, is it? I wonder if there could have been some other engagement with someone that we don't know about, uh, mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. seems. I mean, that seems very possible. That that jealousy, you know, could have entered in. 
you know, some kind of flirtation that went wrong or mm-hmm. some kind of predation uh, that, yeah. that yeah. you know, that caused just fear. Um, but mm-hmm. I do think, I, I kind of am inclined that, that, that this is a two-character uh, two play, you know? Yeah, it definitely seems that way. It, it, I think that where the more the mystery of it is less compelling to me than the the symbolism that surrounds the whole thing. Well said. I like that. I, that's exactly yeah. the way I felt. Thank you for clarifying that. That I, I couldn't have said that better. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah, and it, you know, and especially again, these themes of you know the fact that we are at a point in 2021 where so much has been done in terms of things like gender equality and um you know and tolerance and diversity and things like that and you have have this classic story rear its head anyway of whether he's jealous or not some kind of angry uncontrollable boyfriend who loses his cool and ends up murdering his his girlfriend and in a very kind of public spectacle kind of way with a lot of engagement going on. I think it's worth noting how many people have turned into amateur sleuths themselves. I'm not sure how um, helpful or effective they were in helping the police to locate the body or to solve the mystery or what have you, but the participatory element of this thing can't be ignored either. We've really entered into a new age of user engagement in everything that really kind of in a spooky twisted black mirror sort of way mirrors instagram engagement itself right i mean essentially we have a comment section that has turned into you know a colombo section or, or what have you <laughs> yeah yeah i i think that is the the appeal of this story um or that's the the inner uh, mechanics of it that of how that has gotten the traction because I think that is right. There's a weird kind of uh, we. I mean the the truth is we're we're all excluded from what really happened. That's the nature of the mystery. But yet there is this kind of illusion of participation through social media and through being able to, you know, we'll speculate and, and, and speculate the way we, you and I are right now. Um, we're putting our two cents in and without really any idea of what we're talking about. Um, and that, that is curious. That is really curious that, that that is now so possible and that that becomes then an electronic record that is very followable by the media, they pick up on that, and they have made that, uh, in several instances, the subject of their story. Because for lack of real facts, they've they've, they've gone with you know what's pe- what are people saying on Instagram and TikTok and you know right. And this is a huge problem with the media right now is that it's mostly tweet aggregation is their job. Journalists don't really exist anymore. We have tweet aggregators. Let me ask you this: Have you ever hung out? with an Instagram influencer? No. 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 I um... I have. (laughs) I have hung out with a group of them. And um, this was when I lived in Portland. And Rios and I became friends with a guy who was friends with a guy who was a huge Instagram influencer in South Korea. And he... 
wrecked his car very publicly. He was a he was a car salesman, one of the top at his at his company. Very wealthy, uh, very successful. Also, completely addicted to any drug that you put in front of him. And I remember going to this guy's house, and his friend had been visiting from Korea in order to shoot a documentary about marijuana because marijuana had just become legal in in Oregon at the time. And we were hanging out and drinking. They were smoking. I don't smoke pot, so I was sort of left out of that one. But I was talking to this guy, and he was at a point where he was kind of like on on all sorts of different things. And I was telling him about, um, I don't know, my thoughts about this, that, and the other. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I used to think that I was God. He's like, but now... I think you're God. And I thought, oh, well, thank you. That's the nicest thing that anybody's ever said to me. But we're at this party, and of course, in the bottom of the, at the bottom of the house, there's a, or in the basement, I should say, there is a you know weed grow operation, and there's all these Instagram influencers that have come over, mostly having to do with uh, the world of the Instagram world of cars. Uh, and uh, one of them was this uh, very polite but sort of out of it. Uh, young woman. There are several guys there, and they're all—they're literally in the middle of a drum circle because some things never die, right? The drum circle will never die, and it was such a bizarre experience to be around these people. Who, by the way, I should mention—I quite liked. I quite liked all these people because I, I like freaks and weirdos, and they were certainly that. But it was interesting to because they're all documenting it, right? They're all documenting what's going on for their Instagram stories. And the ability of for them to change into the persona as soon as the camera goes on, flipped towards their face, and then to turn it back off, and the amount of connection these people had to their phones, just unbelievable. I mean, I thought that my screen time was bad. I don't know if your phone sends you updates of how long you've been looking at your phone, but mine does. And I'll look at that and I'll be like, Jesus, you know, two hours a day, that's way too much. These people were just locked in to their phone but it was it was it was bizarre man i mean just the the it's like they were documentarians but it really is like being around a documentary film crew at all times and actors right they're definitely acting in a, in a certain kind of way but lovely people but very bizarre well that certainly is just yeah i mean <laughs> I, uh i uh Although, I, you know, I think that, you know, th- this has been going on for a while. I mean, I think Warhol gave us a look at that. I mean, I remember when uh, video cameras were, you know, suddenly became, you know, pretty manageable and, and, and pretty affordable. And that th- it would stop the action. You know, once somebody plugged into a TV and you could watch back what the last 30 minutes had been like, no, everybody was just around the TV. There was no going forward. There was no. There became nothing to 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 document because everyone was hypnotized mm-hmm. with uh, the documentation that had already taken place. So, mm-hmm. it's a very very weird weird situation. And I don't. I mean, is there any recovery from uh, from the Instagram TikTok mania? I mean, I think there'll be new platforms. There'll just be something. The new thing will come around the way that Facebook replaced MySpace, but I, I don't mm-hmm. see any any escape for that. You know, from the the point of view of certainly, um, well, our, our young generation right now. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I think so. I think that in terms of Instagram, I think that this particular story is going to have a huge effect because my contention is that these things work symbolically rather than uh, anything else, really. I don't think that people would ever on their own get bored of Instagram. I don't think that it's going to go away. I don't think this is some sort of death knell for Instagram. But I think that symbolically what happens when you have somebody who's an Instagram Instagram influencer like this who's so prominent who seems to have everything all figured out and then they end up dead in a park uh, from a crime that is old as time itself right Uh, the intrusion of the eternal right into the constant uh, present you see what I mean like it's it's this kind of you know humanity in a way coming back now to be clear I'm not saying any of this in terms of like this is a great thing that happened to this poor person that's not what I mean to say at all but What I am saying is that something comes along when this happens that snaps us out of this horrible nightmare that we've been in for the past 10 years, this horrible social media-induced nightmare. And I think it has a lot to do with um, uh, deep time, aeon time, right? And the kind of constant present time that that we happen to be stuck in. And I think a train wreck just happened between those two modes and I think for a lot of people, this they might not realize this, and it, we might not see the fruits of it for decades to come, but this is kind of one of those first moments where you go, oh, wait a second. Something's, something's wrong here. Indeed, indeed. I, I, I just, I, I wonder if we as a society are going to be able to actually articulate and confront the the dark mirror uh, of of what that really involves. Uh, I I tend to think not. I think that, um, I mean, for starters, with this story, um, I think I did actually read this. This isn't just my imagination, but I I admit, I think I would have had this thought on my own, that now that the remains of the body, and that's always an interesting uh, expression that is so suggestive, you know. Um, it, I mean, it says something important, but it says nothing, you know. I mean, it, it, it you know, of course, there's going to be just remains of anyone who dies mm-hmm. in any kind of wilderness environment. You don't need to know that much about wildlife to even, you know, suppose that. Um, the poet David Bottoms has a beautiful poem about the drunken hunter. And uh, it ends with that kind of thing of, you know, he passes out in the woods and, you know, something discovers him. So there's not, you know, Mm -hmm. a full body. There's just remains. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is, in fact, what, you know, a lot of of, um, when I was hiking in the the Rocky Mountains, Estes National Park, uh, a couple of summers ago, there was a very, very big, very big uh, manhunt for a lone male who, um, Mm. in his, uh, you know, mature adult, you know, in his 40s, who had gone missing. And there were, Mm. there were hundreds of people looking for, and had been, Uh, there were volunteers, there were rangers, there were all the first responders, police, state troopers, it was big. And aerial surveyed the whole thing. And I was talking to one Mm. of the senior rangers about it, and I said, you know, what, what, what's your thought? Do you think this is an example of someone uh, maybe it's a, you know it was a bad diagnosis and then a suicide, um, and he said, "Well, look, there are you know that does happen, but he said more than likely this is an accident, 
more than likely mm-hmm. this is someone who you know didn't follow the rules of, of hiking with someone they were wanting to go alone and that's cool you know and i've certainly done a lot of that i've done a lot of wilderness stuff alone and i mm-hmm. i see the dangers in that um and you know that that stuff can happen but i think that what we're expecting now to come out of the Gabby Petito story is is a resolution of delivered detail that will be sensational enough to deserve a streaming documentary or series, a short series. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're not going to be satisfied with... Uh, well, they were eating, they were having a picnic and she choked on a chicken bone and um, he mm-hmm. couldn't bring her back mm-hmm. to life and panicked. We're, we're not going to go for that, right. you know? Right. That's interesting. That is really interesting. And it kind of, it, it's, well, it's sort of, again, this is symptomatic of the time that we live in where it feels like this kind of hyper-recorded, documented world is completely inescapable because what i was suggesting was this almost escape from the constant uh uh, instagram promotion of the self right and (laughs) what you're suggesting is in my mind actually kind of dark that it all ends up in yet another piece of content to be watched on netflix over the course of like four or five hours and then kind of filed away i don't know it's um it, that depresses me. <laughs> well, but it, it will happen. You are correct. It will happen. But I mean, still. doesn't that tie into our our sacrifice theme? I mean, behind the paywall, we are looking at popular culture as child sacrifice, and there's some really interesting uh, directions that we're going to get into this episode. So, people who are interested in that, uh, and we had early from the very start, we had talked about the the writing and thinking of Rene Girard. Uh, Freud certainly figures there's a lot of interesting mythological, anthropological uh, thinking going on with the concept of sacrifice, which, I mean, in one sense, it's it's just a magical absolute and a worldwide phenomenon. And in another sense, it's completely counterintuitive, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But there is some kind of, of sense of of the sacrifice here, isn't it? That that here's this young woman mm-hmm. who's become media fodder, uh, mm-hmm. and yet the irony is, of course, she was quite happy to be Instagram fodder, if you mm-hmm. would accept that word. She's certainly trafficking in that notoriety. Um, I mean, is this maybe, I hate to say it, and I certainly don't mean any offense to anyone, but is this the perfect ending? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, I think you're right. Yeah, I really do. I think that it is sort of uncomfortable for people to think about things this way, especially, you know, people who are close to the victim, whatever, uh, you know, and then people who kind of like to put on airs that they're, you know, more empathetic than thou and all that kind of stuff. You know, how can you, how could you say something like that? But I think the way that you mean it is is dead on in that, it is <clears throat> when whenever anybody becomes a a personality online right what they're essentially doing is becoming their own master right or they 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 
becoming their own master and their own slave, right? So instead of being chained up at a factory for 60 hours a week, they are choosing to use their life, as you said, as fodder for this kind of huge mill. And in a sense, it does feel as though there is this kind of dark spirit of media that we've been talking about in the paywall episode that, uh, you know, in the same way that at the end of a Burning Man festival, you know, you burn the effigy, the wicker man, what have you, at the end of this particular influencer's life, there is this kind of ceremonial old media circus around this this person. I think that's I think that's dead on, man. It it feels uh, ritually and magically right, doesn't it? As if it, 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 it there's a there is a structure to this. I mean, I think that that we both agree that that life and certainly the human uh, story is all about story. That that's not an accident. That we yeah, really right. mean that, and then that then draws on some mechanics of what defines a story. And yes, there are a few, you know, different plots. We can, you know, maybe argue if there's seven or twenty or thirty-six. But but the notion of story does have some real structure to it, and this just meets it um, ritualistically, magically, narratively, uh, yeah. without needing to provide any of the details. They'll they'll come forward, but I almost am, am inclined that the details that we do learn about, and let's face it, uh, the media has no responsibility whatsoever to tell us the truth about anything. Um, I mean, the Las Vegas shooting here is still vivid in my mind about how many questions, you know, remain unresolved. It's just a complete mystery in many ways. And so we're going to get details that will satisfy this ritual wicker man end of summer uh tiktok uh instagram influencer narrative i think i think that's what we're going to get right and in the same way that the whole idea of you know the summer of love ended with the manson murders um i think that it's not historically accurate to think that stories like this can't have a sort of punctuation on on a narrative that we're going through and while this certainly wasn't a summer of love i think times are just much darker and more cynical now uh this does feel significant it feels significant because it's been you know as somebody who didn't keep up with it on my own i've had you and my wife both both talk to me about it so this is this is definitely something that is permeating into the collective unconscious right now and there's something to that well, for next time, uh, why I, I'd appreciate if you just would sound Rios out a bit about her take on this because we, you and I, kind of just really just launched into this without any real briefing uh, or, or, or you know earlier discussion. So maybe for next time, just to follow up on that because I am very interested in in what her take would be, and certainly if listeners would like to get back, to, I think one thing that is. Uh, that that appealed to me about the story is that it's it's topical right now you know Mm -hmm. it it isn't a big uh historic thing like 9-11 uh it's really something that's that's captured uh 
at least the national attention. I'm not as clear on, I, it doesn't seem to have gotten, uh, well, it's not entirely invisible internationally. I always do check that and to, to look around at a few international sources. So it has gotten uh, attention. It has, I think you could say it's gotten disproportionate attention uh, than what you would think it deserves relative to the number of possible missing persons uh, and outright murder stories. I mean, we're actually not short of that at all, are we? Um, no. So I think we're I think we're we're on the money in the sense of there's something that is of ritual, magical, anthropological significance in the way that we you and I use that word. Absolutely. I will definitely ask Rios for her thoughts on this, and we will pick it up next time. We're going to flip over to the Patreon side, folks. A quick reminder before we go that for five bucks, you can be a Patreon subscriber and get those extra episodes. Eight bucks will get you a happy hour with Chris and I. And so, we're looking yeah. forward to that. The happy hour yes, is, you know, I've, I've got skulls. I've got masks. I've got musical instruments. And Thursday, I think, will be a good time to get happy. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's Thirsty Thursday. Yeah. Have, yeah. have fun. Have fun. I'll have, my, uh, I'll have my boring flavored water. I miss beer sometimes. But don't miss everything that comes along with alcoholism. So, no, I understand but, that. I hear you. I'm with you on that. Um, but that doesn't mean we, we can't be happy. <laughs> <laughs> that's right we can still we can still be happy and you know and look wistfully at uh at the beer aisles and remember uh, simpler times if not happier than than simpler times but yes please come join us everybody we're gonna have a lot of fun and uh thanks so much for listening talk to you next time yeah take care and join us behind the paywall it gets more exciting with every episode we promise Indeed.